Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM, where we talk to business leaders and experts to gain valuable insights that will help you move your business forward. Welcome to Conversations in Business with RSM. I'm Taryn Forsyth, a Regional Director in the Risk Advisory Division at RSM South Africa. The COVID pandemic has caused severe disruptions across most industries and has had an economic impact on just about every business, with many turning to their insurers for indemnification under their business interruption insurance policies for the losses which they have suffered as a result of COVID-19. We have, however, seen significant pushback from insurers who have applied a seemingly narrow interpretation of the cover provided for in certain policies and in most, in, in most in instances rejecting the claims submitted. This has resulted in litigation against various insurers with numerous matters being heard in the South African High Court over the past few months. Today, I'll be chatting to Brett Eaton from Insurance Claims Africa. Insurance Claims Africa is a public loss adjusting firm who is representing over 700 businesses in the tourism and hospitality industry in their fight against insurers in respect of their COVID-related insurance claims. Brett is a chartered accountant and specialist claims consultant who has been involved with loss quantification and insurance claim resolution for over a decade. Thanks for joining us today, Brett. Thanks, Taryn. Pleasure to be here. So, Brett, let's begin with the specific clauses contained within certain policies which provides cover for loss of revenue or gross profit as a result of this pandemic. Physical damage at a business is generally required in order to trigger the business interruption section of a policy, which is you know, not the case with COVID-19 because physically we haven't actually seen any damage. My first question is what cover is included in certain business interruption policies in respect of COVID-19? And secondly, why are insurers disputing that the cover applies to the losses which businesses have suffered as a result? So you're quite right that um, typically the assets policy where, where, under which we are trying to claim contains two sections. Um, it's the property damage section and the business interruption section. And in the normal course, if you had to have a fire or a flood, um, there would be a claim submitted under both where the property damage would pick up the, the cost of repairs and the business interruption would be the, the consequential loss of income. Um, in in COVID-19, it's obviously different. Um, in this case, the policy affords us the opportunity to, or let me rather say certain policies that have specific clauses that cover infectious disease allow us to bypass the property damage section and we can we can straight straight away access the business interruption. Um, the clause is hidden in the business interruption wording and it basically extends in many instances it extends the definition of damage to include a loss as a consequence of of an infectious disease. With regards to the, the position that insurers have taken on these, on these matters, um, the, the real debate is around the losses or, or at least government's response to the pandemic and the losses that were exacerbated to a degree as a consequence of um, COVID-19 and government's response. Uh, in a nutshell, from a claimant's point of view, which is um, obviously the, the corner in which we sit, um, we, are, we are saying that there is no distinction between these two and, 
a notifiable disease, a pandemic such as COVID-19 would automatically and always include a government response to it. Um, insurers are effectively drawing a distinction between these two, and they are saying that um, the, there's an intervening cause, which is government's response. So that is why there is such a high level of debate around these COVID matters. Um, there's the difference in, in quantum between those two interpretations is obviously significant. So why do you think there has been such severe pushback from the insurance industry as a whole in respect of these claims? I think um, what we must bear in mind is that there, there is a higher degree of scrutiny on large insurance claims, regardless of the nature of the loss. Over the past two years or so, we have seen um, insurers become a bit more vigilant in, in how they treat insurance claims. Um, there is no such thing as a simple property damage business interruption claim. Um, they, they all go through a process of verification and tire kicking. Um, COVID-19 because of the widespread nature, um, and insurers are very quick to, to say that, you know, only a small portion of policyholders have this infectious disease cover. But the reality is that there are still numerous claims out there, and the numbers are large. We also have to bear in mind that at the time of notification of these losses, back in sort of March, April this year, there was a high degree of uncertainty around um, you know, how long the losses were going to continue for, um, what the playing field looked like going forwards. So um, from our point of view, uh, and I think from, from most policyholders' point of view, um, the response from insurers was, was largely disappointing. Um, but to be perfectly frank, it wasn't unexpected that they were going to put the drawbridge up and, um, you know, compel compel their claimants to um, drag them over the line on these on these claims. Do you think that the statements made by the industry that they cannot afford to pay out all these claims is an excuse or it really is a valid concern? Um, no, so that was that was a suggestion, um, you know, right from the beginning, from the early part of the year that it was, you know, uh, a lot of doomsday saying about about the insurance industry. And if they if they had to pay these claims, it would be the sort of death knell of the industry as we know it. Um, the reality is that um, that's certainly not the case. Um, it's far from the truth. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, uh, firstly, now that, um, now that the losses have sort of crystallized a little bit and the, um, the extent of the losses are, are somewhat known, um, the numbers are very large, but there aren't, there aren't anything that's, um, you know, the insurance industry hasn't dealt with before. Um, secondly, the, um, the insurance industry as a whole is designed to cushion um, financial impacts like this. Um, there's also been a, a number of the insurers that have come out publicly and said that their balance sheets are strong enough to, um, to withstand the losses. Um, there's plenty of balance sheet strength there if they, if they were compelled to pay these claims. Um, there's reinsurance agreements and the reinsurers have said uh, a similar story. Um, and then also, I suppose another factor that is um, often forgotten 
is the overall risk exposure to insurers in 2020, aside from the COVID claims, has actually reduced dramatically. Um, you know, what we're talking about here is business interruption losses. And, um, you know, like we just mentioned, there's um, the, the insurers are quick to say that this, is, this affects a, a relatively small portion of policyholders. But everybody has felt a bit of pain. Um, all, all businesses have suffered losses and a downturn in economic activity um, within the marketplace over the year. So before, if they were taking on a risk and insuring a business that had an exposure of, say, 10 million rand, that 10 million rand is now reduced to six. Um, so there's, there's, there has been significant upside to insurers. Um, mm. the, lack of, the lack of activity in the market also leads to fewer claims. Um, you know, you don't have as much stuff working and operating and, and therefore breaking. Um, so, yeah, um, as far as the overall concern that this is an unaffordable loss to insurers, um, those, those suggestions aren't really, aren't really based on any kind of truth. Um, and in fact, that was raised in one of the court cases, and it was um, dismissed fairly, fairly quickly by the by the, the presiding judge. Okay, so so speaking of court cases, there's been various court cases over the past few months in respect of the disputed insurance policy interpretations, with Insurance Claims Africa joining forces with the applicants in at least one of the matters. We have seen that the court rulings have been in favour of the insureds and not the insurance companies. Can you provide some detail on the various matches which have been heard in the South African High Court and the outcomes thereof? Sure. So, so yes, the, the battleground on the COVID claims um, has become the courts. And this is somewhat unfortunate. Um, you know, you never really want to land up in a position where you are litigating against your, your partner in risk. Um, but that is the, the situation in which claimants have found themselves. There's two significant court cases. So there's a host of court cases out there. Um, but the first one was a court case, the Cafe Chameleon versus Guard Risk court case. That was the very first judgment handed down on um, a COVID-19 matter. Uh, the judgment in the high court came out in about July uh, 2020. And because it was the first, um, it was always going to be the sort of tip of the spear, just by the natural progression of um, the court proceedings. So insurers very quickly appealed that, and um, by its very nature, it was also the first one then to be heard in the Supreme Court of, Court of Appeal. Uh, that hearing was this past Monday, and uh, we are sort of eagerly awaiting a, a judgment from the Supreme Court of Appeal, which we hope will still be before, before Christmas this year. The second matter that's quite important is the Ma Africa versus Sansam judgment. That's important for, for two reasons, really. Firstly, Sansam as South Africa's um, major insurer. Uh, they do have probably the, the largest exposure in terms of RAND value and, and volume of claim. But also, that case tested a, a wider degree of, of debates um, on the COVID, COVID claims. 
again, the, the premier debate is, is simply around whether lockdown losses are covered or not. But the Mar Africa matter went a bit further and there was a number of other points that were also being tested. Um, that judgment came out about two weeks ago now and um, insurers have applied for leave to appeal. Uh, the reality is that 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 appeal will probably only be heard in in February next year thereabouts, with a judgment coming out in about April. So still a while to go. Um, you know, still still quite a wait for the for the policyholders before any certainty is arrived at there. Following those two, there has been a number of other court cases and a number of other judgments that have been handed down. All of the judgments so far have instructed insurers to pay. But, you know, the, the, the following judgments, the ones that, uh, that, that lag behind these two, uh, there are nuances and differences in, word, in the wordings of the policies. Um, but, you know, the layman would, um, would say that generally they cover very similar, very similar risk. Mm -hmm. um, so those those other court cases that are following, they they might have to, you know, at the end of the day, there will be decisions made ahead of them, and um, those will, are likely to influence um, any sort of appeal or uh, further proceedings on those matters. So to date, only a few insurers have offered settlements to their clients, and then you know others have provided interim relief payments. If insurers believe that the claims are not valid. Well, why have they then provided these interim relief payments? So the interim relief uh, payments were actually as a consequence of um, the FSCA coming out strongly in favor of claimants and uh, really saying, instructing insurers um, to make payments on these claims. So, in fact, following those, the, the recent court cases, the My Africa case, etc. Um, oh, sorry, one thing I forgot to mention was um, the My Africa matter was also heard in front of a full bench of judges um, in the High Court. So, it, it does carry a little bit more weight. But following those court cases, the FSC has again reiterated its, its stance in, a, in a, a communication that runs out that um, they see these claims as payable. So roundabout again, it was also about July, um, the FSCA instructed the, um, the short-term insurers to, to come up with some sort of interim relief um, on these matters. Uh, insurers... They have also been quite quick to say that this was sort of a um, a, a social responsibility that they had, um, mm -hmm. but but you know that that unfortunately isn't quite the correct interpretation. They were compelled in a way by the FSCA to make these interim payments. The various insurers have been um, the the degree of interim relief that they've offered has been quite varied. So um, some have been far more generous than others. So do you think that these payments actually provided any meaningful relief to the industry? Um, it really depends on the insurer. Um, as I say, they've been, some insurers have been more, more generous than others. So how the interim relief payments worked in general was there was a sort of cap on the sum insured, you, you had to qualify for it. It was principally 
focused on assisting small and medium enterprises in the in the hospitality and, and non-essential um, businesses. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, from our own client base, I think the first point is that um, the the larger businesses, because of their size, were excluded from any interim relief, um, which was a little bit sad to watch because the reality is that those larger businesses, although they command, you know, higher turnovers, they were also the ones paying higher premium for starters. But furthermore, they were the ones that employed more people, um, you know, a greater degree of stakeholders, etc. And unfortunately, they were left high and dry by um, most of the, the parameters that the interim payment, that the interim relief, um, the qualification measures for, for those. Secondly, some of the insurers that offered very low uh, values, the, those numbers were, although it was a, it was a gesture, the, the value that was paid out was actually so negligible, it, it didn't really assist. What I will say, though, is um, Sansam, they were a little bit more generous than, than others. And if if the, the nature of the business qualified for those interim relief measures and if it was a relatively small business, then yes, those interim relief payments did assist our client base in, in riding the storm for a, for a period of time at least. So following uh, these recent court rulings that you've just you know, spoken about, do you expect to see more insurers coming to the party with settlement offers? Um, look, we would we would love to see insurers come to the table and uh, draw a line under the, the, the COVID-19 saga and find a commercial settlement with their policyholders. This has been a, uh, you know, we've, we've actually been fairly creative with various options that we've proposed to insurers over the past few months, right from, from the early stages of um, of COVID-19 really impacting the businesses. So, you know, from about April onwards. But unfortunately, it seems like they've they've dug their heels in a little bit and um, they are willing to, to roll the dice on the court cases. There is a window of opportunity at the moment for insurers to come up with a compromise. Uh, whether they'll take that or not, we've reached out to them all again hoping for for some sort of resolution. Um, there is value in certainty for our claimants, um, you know, heading into the new year, if they, if they have a good understanding of what they can budget for, et cetera, um, how much cash they've got. Uh, that influences decisions about, you know, heavy decisions about, about staff complement and, and the like. So I think there is, you know, substantial value in, in certainty for, for the policyholders. I would also say that there's, there's, without knowing, you know, the details and the, the nitty gritty that goes on behind the scenes at insurers, I would also see that there is value in certainty for them as well. You know, they know then what's, uh, what they committed to, um, what the liability truly is. And uh, everybody can sort of move on with um, with a with a firm number in mind. Um, so we'll see. Um, we, as I say, we've we've reached out again um, to to all the major insurers that we the door is always open and uh, always willing to chat. 
Um, and if there's a settlement on the table, we'll certainly look at it. But um, uh, I certainly think that that those insurers who are in the throes of the court proceedings, um, they've sort of pinned their colours to the mast. And um, I think we, we're going to have to unfortunately ride the wave of the of the courts. So looking outside of South Africa, you know, the, the pandemic is a, a global event and has caused disruptions and losses worldwide. How have other countries, insurers and courts responded to the claims made? Um, so we do, we do have clients uh, throughout sub-Saharan Africa and the Indian Ocean Islands and, and a few in Europe. We've seen very similar response from all the insurers in the major you know, sophisticated insurance markets. There are differences in wordings. So in the US, um, there's, a, there's a, a greater degree of emphasis in their policy wordings on, on the physical damage element. They don't necessarily have that broadening of that term with the infectious disease clause. Uh, that in itself has led to a host of litigation, as, as, as you can well imagine. We've seen in the UK, which is you know, quite, a, quite an important region for the insurance industry as a whole because a lot of the reinsurers um, are located there. Uh, they've, they fairly quickly, um, they decided to actually take quite a, quite a pragmatic stance on it. They, there was a court case, but they kind of um, consolidated the court proceedings or a myriad of court proceedings that were envisaged into one. Um, and basically tested the wordings all through a single court proceeding. The result of that is, is out, um, and by and large, the courts found in favor of the claimants again. The, the insurers have taken that matter on appeal again. Uh, we've also seen in the past week or two um, judgments coming out in Australia, um, again in favor of the claimant. So, yeah, overall, there's, there's a reluctance to pay from in all geographies that we're dealing with um, by insurers. But at the same time, there is, you know, a general trend from the courts, at least, that these, pay, these claims are payable. So that's kind of the, the you know, the, the global status. As I say, the U.S. is very, very different because there's a variety of wordings there and each one has its own, own nuances. Brett, my final question for today is how do you believe that this will impact business interruption insurance cover in the future? Do you think that we are going to see a more stringent approach to claims in general? I think, um, well, certainly already... Most of the insurers, if not all, have removed the infectious disease cover from their policy wordings. And, um, you know, we're not going to see that come back anytime soon. So I think what we will see is perhaps a, a tightening of the wording and insurers being a little bit more specific and um, about what they intend to, to cover their claimants for. It remains to be seen whether that's going to substantially impact the normal risks that in, that insureds like cover for. So the fire element, the flood element, um, 
you know, I don't know if it's going to substantially change the the wording and the philosophy of the insurance industry around around those aspects. But uh, the peripheral cover that uh, one could usually get for for um, relatively cheap premium, I think we will get a restriction on that. The other element, of course, is premium. Um, I'm no expert in in determining premium, but I would imagine that there will be an attempt to claw back some of these losses if insurers do have to pay um, through increase in premium. Again, my personal view is that um, that might that might be a little bit unfair because overall there is a reduction in risk in general because of the the subdued market. But you know that's the the nature of the game. Um, as far as claims process goes, as I say, we we're already in a scenario where insurers kick the tires quite carefully on every claim, and I think that will just that will just continue. Um, I don't think there'll be necessarily an increase in scrutiny and claims because we are already, you know, at, at quite a high level um, with experts being appointed, etc., routinely on claims. So, um, yeah, I think, I think overall where we will see the impact is perhaps a, a, a restricted wording um, and possibly a, a premium impact. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and we eagerly await the eventual outcome of these claims. Thank you so much for your time today, Brett. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks for having me. That was Conversations in Business with RSM. Experience the power of being understood. Experience RSM. Visit rsmza.co.za.